I want to speak to you today about the Eucharist, and particularly its corollary to the resurrection. I was able to speak to you a lot about the resurrection last week and what it really means to our life and how we live our lives in the hope of the whole reality of bodily, bodily resurrection in the afterlife and how that really should inform the way we live our lives from day to day here and now. Great. So, something similar now, but in regards to the Eucharist. Because the Eucharist and the resurrection are immediate corollaries. They, one does, cannot um, go without the other. But first, a story. So, when I was in seminary, I was getting ready to take a final exam for one of my courses in fundamental theology. It was going to be an oral exam, and there was, you know, two, three hundred people in this particular course. So, it, being oral, he had to do the exams. The priest had to do exams one by one. So, it took place over about two or three or four days. And that particular semester, the oral exams began with the letter alphabet A and made their way through. So, I was already starting to hear back from some of my classmates about uh, the exam and um, finding out that many of them were failing the exam. And it was the only grade for the entire semester was the final exam. So I started getting really nervous. I started asking them questions like, okay, so what did he ask for in the exam? Because he can ask anything from the whole semester. And they started telling me what it was that he was saying. And they were different questions. But there was one common question that he asked at the end of every exam, one-on-one, with these students, with these seminarians. And the question was, did Jesus eat the fish? Right here from Luke 24. Did Jesus actually eat the fish? And... I knew the position of the professor because he had spoken about it, not like throughout the course, but just on one particular day and and not long. And the position that he took, I was surprised, is he said that Jesus did not eat the fish because he didn't need to because he doesn't need food in the resurrection. And I thought that was very strange. I remember thinking to myself, this doesn't jive with this priest and, and, and his love of the resurrection in the Eucharist. And I just remember taking note of that and then moving on to the rest of the lecture. So I asked the students who had failed, what position did you take? Did you take the professor's position or did you take the scriptures? And every single one of them that failed took the professor's position. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to take the position against the professor and just see what happens, right? Plus, I did it out of conviction on the scriptures and what many of the saints and scholars up and down the centuries have said about the Eucharist and the resurrection. I immediately began to look for sources, and I remember that one of our professors that very semester, Sister Bozzetti, who taught us um, the, the Gospels, wonderful scripture scholar, that she had spoken about this and written about it in her book. 
So I went and got the book and I read through all of it. And a lot of what I spoke about last week came from Sister Bozzetti. Well, it came from our tradition, but the points, a lot of that came from her. So I read up on all that. I went to the exam. I'm sitting in front of him. And he starts firing away um, at all of these questions. And as soon as he knew I knew the answer, he cut me off right in the middle of it and go on to the next question, the next question. And that went on for about 10 minutes. And then at the end, he said, I have one more question for you, Mr. Sizemore. Did Jesus eat the fish? And I looked at him. I said, absolutely. Yes, he ate the fish. And he pushed back from his desk and he says, oh, do go on. (laughs) So I went on for about 10 minutes, giving all that I knew from Sister Bozzetti and from our tradition about why he ate the fish, what the reasoning was, what he was trying to accomplish, what it meant for us in our resurrection here and in the afterlife, and then also made the connections to the Eucharist. So I'm going to get to in a second. At the end of about another 10 minutes, he simply stops me mid-sentence, wherever I was, and he says, that's it, that's it, the, the exam is done, you're done, get out. Gather up your things and get out. So I'm gathering up my things and I'm getting out. He walks me to the door, okay? And before he opens the door, he backs me up against the wall. And he says, Mr. Sizemore, I'm going to give you one more chance here, right? Did Jesus eat the fish? And do you know why I'm asking this question? And I said to him, I think I understand why you're asking this question. And yes, Jesus ate the fish. And I've already told you the reasons why. And so he opens the door and lets me out. And with a smile on his face, he calls out to me, Mr. Sizemore, you just got an A. Applaud for me, but, but those poor other guys before me, right? <laughs> this professor did believe in the resurrection of the body, did believe that Jesus ate the fish, obviously, and had a great devotion to Christ in the Eucharist. And that's why he did what he did to us. He did it because he knew that We were going to, as priests, and you and I, as Catholic Christians living in this world, we're going to face far greater threats and consequences to our faith, like our eternal salvation, when we run up against people out in the world who want us to take their position rather than revelation, rather than the truth. And he was willing to fail students, who, by the way, you just had to take the exam again, all right, but with a lesser grade, one grade point lesser. He was willing to do that and did that in a bold move to teach us, listen, are you going to side with the professor in order to get a better grade, but let go of your faith in the process? And you know, isn't that happening around the universities around the world right now? Right? Yeah, of course it is. And in, and in schools where we're sending our kids. And it was a point 
A lesson that I have never forgotten. So what's the connection then between the resurrection and the Eucharist? It's very interesting if you pay attention to what happens in the order of what happens here in Luke 24. And particularly where the church presents this to us today on this third Sunday of Easter. Right before Jesus appears to his disciples in the resurrection, the first time they're going to see him. Luke begins this passage with a scene that preceded it. And the scene that preceded it was two of the disciples were with Jesus on the way to Emmaus. And as they're walking with the resurrection Jesus, they don't know who he is. But as he begins to unfold for them the entirety of the Old Testament and how all that pointed to him, their hearts grow increasingly on fire. And then what they do, they beg him as he seems to be going on from where they're stopping. They beg him, please remain with us. And so he remains with them. And what he does is he breaks bread with them. Now, that's the code word for the Eucharist. In the New Testament, whenever you see that code phrase, that means they're celebrating the Eucharist. So he breaks bread with them. And this is where Luke picks up and he says that they ran back to the rest of the disciples who were stowed away in the upper room. They ran back to them and they recounted how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And as they, Luke says, as they were actually telling the story, Jesus appears to them in the resurrection. Intentionally, at that moment, he appears to them. They did not know him. They could not see him fully for who he was until first he begins to reveal to them who he is from the scriptures, revelation, truth, right? And then they don't know him fully who he is until he breaks bread with them, until he reveals himself in the Eucharist, and by the way, go back and read Luke, because the moment that he reveals himself in the Eucharist, then he disappears because he has reappeared fully in the Eucharist. And while they're telling this story, Jesus appears because, because the disciples are struggling with the teaching that Jesus told them before he was to die that he would rise again. So he appears, and what happens? Luke records that they are terrified. And the reason why they're terrified is because they think, as we talked about last week, they think that they're seeing a ghost. Meaning, they think that they're only seeing Jesus in the spirit, in his soul. A ghost, but not fully who God is in the second person of the Holy Trinity in Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So they're terrified. And what does Jesus do? He says, look at me. I mean, look at my hands and my feet, the nail marks, meaning this is me myself. This is me. This is my body. This is who I am. And then he says, now also touch me. 
And see that a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones as you can see that I do. Meaning, I am a resurrected body. And then it says, Luke says, that they were still incredulous with joy. Meaning, like, maybe you've had one of those moments where something wonderful happens, but it's almost too good to be true, and you don't know if it really is true, and you want it to be true, and it is true, but you're still kind of like, oh, whoa, 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 what, what? What just happened, you know? Well, that's what the disciples were going through. So they were still incredulous, meaning still, even though they had the joy, they were hoping that this was true, but this was almost too good to be true. But the point is, is that it is true. And it did fill them with joy. And at that moment, what we begin to see, what Jesus begins to reveal to them, is that connection with the first part. I was just with two of your disciples, and I made myself fully known to them in the breaking of the bread, and now I'm doing the same with you. This is who I am. Who I am in my resurrected, glorified state. Here, give me a piece of bread. Give me some uh, uh, fish to eat. And he takes it. So they see that he fully is human. But then look at the other resurrection accounts that happened on that day and the days that follow. Like I mentioned last week, there was another scene where he appears to hundreds of his disciples all at once in different places. And there's other scenes where he is um, resur- he's ascending into heaven. So can he fly? He obviously goes back to his father, but he doesn't go back as a spirit. He goes back as body and spirit. And there are multiple other occasions, resurrection accounts, where my point is this, is that he in his glorified resurrected body overcomes the laws of nature itself. He in his resurrected, glorified body is able to do supernatural things that are beyond the natural order. And this is where I'm going with that. If he can do that in his resurrected, glorified body, then he can do that in his resurrected, glorified body in the Eucharist because that's what the Eucharist is. That's who the Eucharist is. When we celebrate the Eucharist, we're celebrating Jesus and his resurrected, glorified body. And so Jesus goes out of his way in multiple accounts, just like here in Luke 24, to show us what the resurrection means in order so that we can understand what the Eucharist means too. Because he can only be fully known in the reality of who he is fully. And that's what the disciples were running back to tell the other apostles about. And he was made known to us in the breaking of the bread. What's the same with you and I to this day? Is that we're not really going to know him, know him, like in a biblical way know him. And know him fully who he is, fully revealed to us. Except for And who he really is, a resurrected, glorified Jesus. And if in his resurrected state, in the Gospels that we read, he could do these 
above natural, beyond the natural order, supernatural things, then surely the same resurrected, glorified Jesus can do supernatural things above the natural order so that when this bread and wine is changed to his body, blood, soul, and divinity, we don't see it. It defies the laws of the natural order. We can't taste it. We can't sense it. All of our senses. But nevertheless, he is here. And we might be in that very same situation that the apostles were in. They were human and you and I are human. When we hear this, when we think about this, when we try to believe this, we, we are incredulous with joy. Meaning this is almost too good to be true. But it is true. Because you cannot have the Eucharist without the resurrection. There's one in the same persons. And what he does in his resurrection, he can do in the Eucharist. And that's why in the very day of his resurrection, he celebrates the Eucharist with his disciples. What you once saw me as when I walk with you is now me, but more. And here's what I can do. And here's who I am. And he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Beautiful. So how do we get to that? You know, because I know, and I've been there, I celebrate the the Eucharist. I get to celebrate the Eucharist every day. And there are days when I take the presence of the Lord for granted. I admit that. And I imagine you've been there too. And maybe even during the actual consecration, your mind is wondering. Or maybe when you come up to the Eucharist sometimes and and the minister says, the body of Christ, you say, amen. Right? We've all been there. But how do we get back to allowing him to make himself fully known to us? In the Eucharist. Because when that happens, meaning he's not just making himself known to us by showing himself to us in the Eucharist, but he is making himself known to us by communing with us. So as St. Paul says over and over again in his writings, so that the body that becomes part of our body, we become one with that body. And the person that comes to dwell in us, we become more and more of that person who dwells in us. And then when we go out into the world, we're not just presenting our ourself and our faith, we're presenting the person of Jesus Christ who dwells in us and are capable of changing the lives of others. It's the same progression. The disciples who were on the way to Emmaus with Jesus, they, remember, had walked with him for three years. And that's how so quickly, once the scriptures were open to them, they were able to see him in the Eucharist. It's the same path for you and I. What we got to get back to, if we've gotten away from, as individuals or as a community, is we've got to get back into a friendship with him. We've got to get back into a personal relationship with him, where we're walking with him and following him every day of our lives. 
and how to do that. The good news is, is that we have multiple opportunities here at St. Francis. The stuff that you hear me and so many others get up at the end of each one of the masses and pitch to you, right? We have multiple opportunities for you to gain and grow in friendship with Jesus, to come to know him in prayer, in fellowship, in community, in the study of scripture, in retreats for men and women, in conferences and workshops and seminars and so on. Thanks be to God. And then, and then, when we start to walk that life with Jesus, not just encounter him one hour out of 168 hours of the week here at Mass, when we really start to walk with him. And again, it's baby steps, but it's, it's a movement forward. It's, it's taking some, some risk. It's taking some chances. It's making some adjustments. It's making some changes in our lives. And then off we go until we find ourselves on that road to Emmaus in friendship with Jesus Christ. But then he's revealing himself in the opening up of the scriptures. And so as, for instance, we gather here week after week, and week after week, he opens our minds. St. Luke tells us, he opens our minds to understanding him from the scriptures. And so, we begin to understand him in those ways. But it is those two steps that proceed. Walking with him in friendship. Allowing him to open our minds that he is made known to us in the Eucharist. So for instance, if you've never had that experience in your life as a lifelong Catholic of really truly encountering Christ in the Eucharist, you've heard about others who have gone back to their seat and just weeped, right? And you heard about others who, um, they, you know, after they have one of those encounters, they're in Eucharistic adoration Every week, or vice versa, they started to go to Eucharistic adoration because of the invitation, because of what they saw in other people. They went to Eucharistic adoration a month, two years, whatever. And then they had that moment when they were stepping up in line and receiving our Lord in the Eucharist, and he made himself known to them in an existential way they had never experienced up to this time. It is possible. And it's not just possible once, I, as a priest, have been blessed. I've had many of those moments in my life where I felt him. I knew him. I experienced him. His love was overwhelming to me. He was there. He is there. And then the very reasons why he remains with us in the Eucharist are realized so that we might know him. And in knowing him, know the gift of salvation that he came to give us. You see, there's a reason why anything that's in the scripture is in there. You know, I just stay with the New Testament. John's gospel tells us, John himself tells us, there are many other things that the Lord did that they are too many to be contained in any one book. In fact, he said in a library books. So the stuff that gets in the scriptures, Jesus wants us to see that as essential. Essential. How many times in the Gospels is the teaching on the Eucharist there? Not once, but multiple times. So we know that it is essential to our salvation. 
Luke ends with this. Jesus then, after he says what he says about his resurrected body, and then shows them, then he teaches them how he has saved them. And then he says this, and you are my witnesses to these things. What is a witness? A witness is someone who has a first-hand experience of an event, of a person, of a conversation, whatever. A first-hand experience, right? And then the witness is one who goes out and tells the others, witnesses to what they have experienced. You see the progression? The friendship, the walking with, the opening of the scriptures, the showing, if I can do this in my resurrected, glorified body, then I can do this anywhere, anyhow. And you notice, too, that Jesus didn't try to explain himself when they were incredulous about him. He just simply allowed them to have the experience. And that was enough for them. He didn't explain the science behind it. He gave them the experience of himself. And so then we have that experience. But then that experience is not just for our salvation and for our own little relationship with him. That experience then is meant to send us, like he did to to his disciples, to go out and witness this to the rest of the world. This is the part I want to end with. You have people in your lives who you love, who are very, very important to you. And for any number of reasons, they're not receiving the Eucharist anymore. And again, I cannot imagine... Anyone, anyone who really knows Jesus in the Eucharist, who has known him in the Eucharist, ever leaving the Catholic faith. Not over any issue that our world says the social issues are more important than him and more true than him, right? I can't imagine that. So we can only assume that the ones who have left for any number of reasons, have left because they have not known him in the breaking of the bread. But you have, or you will, if you follow that path that Jesus lays out to us and is chronicled in Luke's gospel. And then, and then, these people who are so near and dear to you, people that you've gone to school with, maybe here at St. Francis or Newark Catholic or in public schools or people that are your spouses or are your children or are your neighbors or your co-workers or whatever, people that you know and you love, you will be able to witness to them who Jesus is. And as the history of the church has shown over and over again, it will be your witness that we're bringing them to Christ. Bring them not just back to us sitting in a pew, but ultimately, because he takes it from there, ultimately, so that he can make himself known to them in the breaking of the bread. Give them the gift of salvation. Give them through participating in his glorified, resurrected body, the hope of them having one day a glorified, resurrected body in the life of heaven. And all that stuff we talked about last week. You are his witnesses.
And if you're not at a point or you lost the point, you never got to the point or you've forgotten the point or you've taken it for granted, the gift that you have as Catholic Christians of access to our Lord in the Eucharist. Come back to that. The world is desperate for your witness. I believe in my heart that the reason why the world is in the shape that it's in now is that we as Christians haven't fully understood who Jesus is. We as Catholic Christians haven't fully appreciated who he is in the Eucharist and we have not shared him to the world. It's time to start being witnesses again.